All right, so we are going to spend this Sunday and next Sunday simply going through the list of descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to see how far we get this morning, and we'll tackle the rest next Sunday. Um, But we're just going to start um, by reading this passage briefly. Um, For time's sake, I would just encourage you, um, my hope is that each Sunday of this series kind of stands on its own to some degree, but I just have to acknowledge this stuff sort of builds on itself that we've been talking about. Um, And so abiding in him, being connected to the spirit and presence of God produces incredible things. And and this is a picture of that this morning. So this is in Galatians chapter five, verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that stuff is all so good that there isn't a law that you'll break when this is operating in your life. Or against such, there is no law, if we want to read it technically. All right, so a couple things I want to point out before we launch into this. Three basic things. Number one, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It is not plural, It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. That's important to understand because if we look at these as all separated, um, then we can almost like try to analyze ourselves based on like, well, I've got several of these working here, that's pretty good, or I'm struggling on these couple here, and it becomes like this list and this measuring stick. The other thing that can happen is we can think because maybe a couple of these things are operating in our life that oh, it's the Holy Spirit that's producing that. But, but I've known people that, for example, might be gentle, um, but they have no peace in their life. They're totally anxious and ripped off. Um, I might know somebody who's joyful and has zero self-control. Um, maybe some of your own past experiences popped into your head right there. I mean, that was probably me as a kid running around, like full of joy and total out of control. I think my kindergarten teacher was like telling my parents, he's not bad, he just won't stay in his seat. He's everywhere but in his seat. He's just all over the place, no self-control. So so when the Holy Spirit shows up, he produces all of this stuff, okay? These aren't aren't personality traits. Um, You know, you, you might know people or you might even have some of these that work in your life, just it's your natural disposition, But the singular fruit of the Spirit, his presence will produce all of these things. Um, And they'll grow, they'll blossom. Um, You know, it's not, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't in our lives if I don't read this list and go, well, that's totally me. Because often when I read these, I'm aware of areas that I'm still falling short. But see, these aren't attributes that we become. Okay, and this leads into my next point. The, the fruit of the Spirit, this is who God is. It's not the fruit of Jake after I hang out with God for a while. That, that's not how Paul describes it. It's, it's the fruit of the, the presence of God. And so when these things are, are lacking in me, it's not because I don't have them. I don't have them. <laughs> he gives them. It's his presence in my life that brings this stuff about. And so, man, moment by moment, day by day, for example, if I'm struggling with anxiety, 
the presence of God can bring peace, not me deciding I'm gonna stop being anxious. That, that don't work. <laughs> Anybody in here ever tried to convince themselves to stop being anxious? That don't work, okay? But man, the tangible presence of God can bring peace in even the most anxiety-inducing situation. And so first and foremost, these fruits are an expression of who God is. Now, the byproduct of that is I can experience and receive them in my own heart and life and be, be blessed, benefit from his presence and experience his love as an example, experience joy. Another byproduct of his presence is that this stuff works its way out of me towards other people. The, the fruit is meant for other people to eat, to benefit from. And so when we're reading these, it's easy to read certain ones and think of it as like a behavior, you know, I need to do. Or to only think of it as something God wants to give me. But when we're reading these, I, I really hope there's three things we can see as we read through these. Number one, this is who God is. Number two, this is something he wants me to receive, to taste, to enjoy. And then number three, this is something he wants to pour through me to other people. If, if he's a God of love, then he wants me to experience his love. And he wants other people to experience his, his love. If he's a God of joy, he wants me to experience fullness of joy and be able to have other people get a taste of real joy through my life. See, there's, there's a third thing I want to mention here before we get going, and that is a basic understanding of what fruit is and how it works. So I'm going to give you four quick things. If you're a note taker, you can jot these down. You probably don't even have to write them down because you'll inherently go, oh yeah, I know that. Number one, fruit looks good. It looks good. If I go to the produce section, I just have to tell you, I'm not drawn to the green stuff. I'm not drawn to that. I know it might be good for me, I'm drawn to like the fruit that like pops, man. Like, you know that color on a pomegranate when it's just like looking really good? Man, like that, it's just like, I want one of those. Or like a shiny red apple that just looks great. I mean, fruit looks good. It's appealing. It's appealing. The worst thing ever is when fruit looks good and you take a bite into it and it's rotten. And so that leads to the second point. Fruit is not just supposed to look good, although it should be attractive, but when you get up close, it should taste good. It should, it's real. See, there's phony versions of this, and then when you get in close, it ain't real. The love of God is real, and it's satisfying. And so, so fruit, it looks good, it tastes good, and ultimately, it satisfies the hungry. It seems like a really basic thing, but it's like, it satisfies the hungry. The fruit that God wants to pour into our lives Man, it satisfies our deepest longings and needs. So it looks good, it tastes good, it satisfies. And then check this out. Fruit carries in it the seed. Think about that. Fruit carries in it the seed. This is, even just in nature, this is designed for a reason, right? An animal comes along, it eats the fruit, it takes it with it. Maybe it like spits out the seeds and they get hung in its fur and get dropped along the way. Maybe it carries it with it for a while. And then it's really got a chance to grow when it comes out because it's already got the fertilizer right there with it. Yep, I went there. 
But, but think about that like practically for a minute. Like when we take in the love of God and digest it, it gets down inside of us and we benefit from that. And then we spread that seed wherever we go. It can land on good soil. The fruit that we carry is meant to carry within it the gospel. See, here's the reality. The gospel that, that we carry around it's not just information we're supposed to understand. There's the list in my head of the two or three things that add up to the salvation that Jesus gives us. The gospel of Jesus is meant to affect every aspect of our life. If it's the good news, then it should be good news. And so we carry it with us. So if God is a God of love, that means he wants me to take it in and receive it. And he wants me to be the kind of person that's giving that love away to other people. And so when the fruit is real and tangible, it carries in it the seeds of the gospel. It keeps the message of Christ rolling forward. In fact, as we move into the gifts of the Spirit in about another week or so, um, we will see very clearly how the fruit ties in with the gifts. Because the gifts are meant to, to touch people's lives with the power of God to to heal, to encourage. Um, and man, the way that people can really receive a touch from God is when the fruit is married with the gifts. When a person full of love and joy and peace then speaks of a word of encouragement, it has substance to it. When, when somebody comes up to encourage me to be less anxious and I look at their life and they're a frazzled mess, it's gonna be hard to receive that from them, Right? And so the, the fruit carries with it the seed of the gospel. Is that making sense? Okay, so with that in mind, let's just start working our way through these. Okay, so the first one listed is love. It's love. Um, I think it's fitting that love is mentioned first. In some way, you could almost say that the other eight that are listed are just explaining how love works. They're almost like aspects of love. Everything kind of flows out of the love of God. Martin Luther put it this way. Um, talking about this verse, he said, it would have been enough to mention only the single fruit of love, for love embraces all the fruits of the Spirit. And so love produces joy. Love produces peace. Man, when I know I'm loved and I'm good, like I see this with my kids sometimes, like when they're hurt and wounded, and they come running because they fell and got a cut. And long before that wound has healed, you know what, what brings them peace? Just a loving embrace. Let them know it's gonna be all right. I see your pain. I love you. It's gonna be okay. And just hold them. Before we ever get to like, you know, patching it up with a Band-Aid, already peace begins to come in because love is present. It says, I'm here and I'm with you. So, Love embraces all the other fruits. Um, I believe Paul's kind of talking about this in Ephesians chapter three. I'm gonna read a few verses, but really the emphasis is on verse 17. But here we go. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. Paul's writing, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. So, so Paul's saying, I'm praying over the people that I know and love, this thing. I'm praying that they would be strengthened and empowered 
through his spirit in your inner being. So the Holy Spirit, that he would strengthen you and give you power. How? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You cannot learn about God's love in a class. I could have crafted the single greatest sermon ever preached on love this morning, which by the way, this is not gonna be that. (laughs) But I could have done, well, maybe I couldn't have done. Somebody could have done that. (laughs) Maybe Billy Graham could have come back down this morning and brought a message. The single greatest message ever crafted, the words could fit just perfectly. You know, the paragraphs could just flow from one into the other. We don't need to hear about love. We need to experience the love of God in our inner being, and it changes things. And it's through the power of God's love at work in our life that helps us to begin to comprehend how incredible he is. How, how deep and overwhelming that all that he is and all that he has, that it's enough. And it's beyond our wildest imaginations. And that's what he wants to pour into our life. And he says, listen, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This goes beyond information in your head. It's something that God wants us to experience. It's a life that's available in him. This word agape that's used for love here in this passage, it's different than some other Greek words for love. And I'm not gonna do a big in-depth teaching on all of them, but there's other Greek words for love that, that mean like romantic love, um, brotherly love, friendship. There's some other words like that, even kind of family love, you know, the kind of love where like you sort of put up with your sibling, you know, because you love them and you have to. Um, it's different than that. This word agape, it holds in it the idea of love and affection and regard, but it it adds to that goodwill or benevolence. There's action tied to it. Um, It's it's outward focused and sacrificial. So here's an example. The best expression of it is in the expression of God's love towards us. It's God's willful direction towards man. It's, It's an action that he takes. Um, It involves him knowing what's best for us and giving it to us. So here's an example. John 3, 16, familiar passage. We know this, right? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave and he gave his son. That, like, let's just step back for a minute. I know it's a familiar verse and we know this and, you know, it's kind of the gospel message, but like, is that what we were asking for? Like, were we asking for that? When I, when I think of ways that God loves me, I, I come up with a lot of different things I'd love to see from him. But God loves us with what we need at whatever cost to himself. That's love. Here's what is best for you. Here's what's good for you. And I want to provide it, and I will do it at whatever cost is necessary. That is, that is how love moves towards us. That's what this kind of love is, this agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that says, 
here's what you need. I want good towards you. And so I want that so much that it brings about action. It brings about action. And even if it costs me something, it's worth it because I love you. I care about you. There's no way for me to fully unpack this. I'm gonna rattle through a few verses. I'm not even reading them. I'm just gonna reference aspects of love that they talk about. So if you're a note taker, you can jot these down and look them up later. They'll be online when we post the notes later this week. But here are a few key verses on love. <laughs> Romans 5, 8. God showed his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So love is not based on the actions of the person outside yourself. It's based on your action of love towards them. All right? That's love. That's his expression of love. Now, as he invites us into experiencing his love and giving it away, um, he says some things like this. Jesus says in John 15, 13, Alex was, was referencing uh, some of this earlier. Um, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. So, so love involves friendship, the people that we care about. We're called to love them, but to love them sacrificially. Love costs me something. I'll tell you one of the ways that I have both expressed love to friends in my life and also received it is when people move. <laughs> Alex is amen in this because we've been like the movers since we came to Knoxville. Like, I mean, I, I feel like the first six months we were here, our job was the movers and also church planters of Grace Chapel, Knoxville. It was just a tangible way that we could help people. And so we just found ourselves regularly helping people when they would move. And I've also experienced that love back. I've had people show up and help me move. Like that might seem simple or silly or whatever, but man, when you walk into somebody's house and you're supposed to help them move and you gave up your Saturday, and then, by the way, this might be convicting to some of you, and I hope that it is, and they haven't packed anything or their version of packing and your version of packing are like very different. I mean, there is nothing more demoralizing than knowing you're there to move and you walk in and you're just like, oh no, <laughs> no beds are taken apart. No drawers are out of the dress. I mean, it's just the worst. That is an act of love, man, to give up your Saturday and help somebody move. Now, I realize I'm being, like this sounds silly or whatever, but love is that tangible. Love is that tangible. I mean, I could just walk out and go, hey, I love you. Hope that goes okay. Oh, cool, thanks. Appreciate that. That's just, that's just good feelings. That's an emotional, you know, I'm just sending out love vibes to you, man. But like you show up and you help somebody in their time of need, that's love. This kind of love, agape love, has action to it. So he talks about laying our life down for our friends. John 13, just a couple chapters before, Jesus describes it this way. John 13, 35. He says, people around you, talking to his disciples, people who don't know me yet and who haven't experienced my love, they're gonna know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. All right, so it's not just our friends that we love, it's the body of Christ that we love. That, that can get hard at times. That can get hard at times because, you know, like, I disagree with people sometimes. They rub me the, way, the wrong way sometimes. But see, the body of Christ is described like a family and we're connected. And so we learn to love each other. And so it's our love for each other that expresses God's love to the world. 
It's really, really easy. I think probably in any culture, but I know the one I live in. It's really easy to look around at, at problems and difficulties and, and just look outwardly at what the problem is. But God said, you know what's gonna take care of everything? If my people, if my sons and daughters will love each other, that'll let people know about my love. And that will be something real and tangible and fruitful that will draw them in. So why don't you worry about that? So we're called to love each other. Um, but, you know, he doesn't stop there. Romans thirteen ten. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love fulfills the law. So we're called to love our neighbor. And, you know, Jesus told a whole story on this, right? When, when we hear love our neighbor, I mean, my immediate thought is, okay, well, who qualifies as my neighbor? And so Jesus told the whole, the whole parable of the Good Samaritan. And then in case we were mistaken in thinking there were some people we could leave off the list, Jesus just goes right to the core of the issue. And in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now, Remember where we started, though. This is not a description of a love that we can muster on our own. I mean, I was already discouraged after the first one, laying down my life for my friends. I go a little bit further, and it's like church family, neighbors, enemies. This gets impossible really fast, and that's the point. We aren't meant to do this on our own. This is the kind of love that God has and so with him, connected to him, abiding in him, this kind of love can become more real in our lives, but we can't do it apart from him. It's also not like this thing where I start by experiencing God's presence and I build up some love muscles and then eventually I can go out on my own and do it. It's his daily presence with me, carrying me along. And it's by his presence, with his activity in my life, that his love can permeate. Because see, the truth is, I've been all of these things that are difficult. I've been the friend that's really difficult to deal with. Uh, I've been the, the family member or church family member that's been a pain. I've been the enemy. I've been all of these things. And God has loved me and other people have loved me in spite of that. I love this, this description here. Um, William Barclay, this is from a commentary on this passage. He writes, this kind of love, this agape, it means unconquerable benevolence. It's a really cool description. Unconquerable benevolence. It means that no matter what a man may do to us by way of insult or injury or humiliation, we will never seek anything else but his highest good. It describes the deliberate effort which we can make only with the help of God, never to seek anything but the best, even for those who seek the worst for us. Man, that takes a miracle of God's love and his presence and his help to see that become a reality. Um, loving like this requires dependence and it requires help. Now, I wanna give you, I don't wanna stay vague, so I wanna give you a tangible example. Now, for the sake of, protecting other people or whatever. I can't get too specific, but I can tell you really in multiple times in my life, but one specific example in my life where I, there was a person in my life that was an enemy and they were legitimately an enemy and they were an enemy in my own mind. 
Um, man, I was writing the person off. Um, I was judging them harshly, labeling them harshly, and felt very justified in it. Um, their behavior, it felt well-earned to me to feel the way that I did towards them. I felt like, like I was right. <laughs> and to a degree, I was. I, I mean, there were real facts I could point to that said, this person's an enemy and they're the one that's wrong and write them off. And God began to really convict me. Like, you're, you're supposed to love this person the way I, I love this person. And I'm telling you, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And so I, I had to ask God for help. And I'm telling you, it was a two or three year journey. But there were some pivotal things that happened along the way. And it started with just a decision to say, God, I don't love this person, but I know I'm supposed to will you at least help me forgive them? And so I forgave them as a matter of choice, even though my emotion did not forgive them. But I just decided I'm gonna forgive them. And so that was like a key moment to decide I'm gonna forgive this person that feels like an enemy. The next key moment for me was a little bit further along the way, I felt like God was telling me, you start praying for that person. So I just started praying for that person. Specific things I was aware of, a lot of things I was unaware of, began to pray for them. And slowly but surely, what began to change over time is I went from seeing that person the way I saw them to more and more, I began to have eyes for them that God had for, the, for that person. I began to see this person as a, a broken person that God loved and cared for and wanted to touch and I don't even know exactly how it happened, but I woke up one day and realized, wow, my emotions caught up to my decision. I really do forgive that person. I love that person. I, I kind of want to try to reconnect with them. I want to see this work out. I want their good. And I went from judging their behavior and writing them off and deciding who they were and why they were that way, like I had some special insight into that, and realize I have no idea who this complicated, unique person of God is that he loves and what all is going on in their life. But I know that I can choose to have forgiveness and to love them. And, and I just, I said all that in like three minutes and that was like three years or more. Um, and God's changed a lot in that relationship and situation. And there's still new territory being taken, but I say all that to say, like, this isn't a sermon idea. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to leave here today and go, I got it now. Through the Spirit, love, cool. I got God's love. I'm giving it away to everybody I see. Man, this is like a day-to-day -day thing that we just live out. God, help me to recognize your love today when I'm blowing it and I'm this. And God, these people that you've put in my life, help me to love them today. I need you. What would it look like today? Let me pray for them. Let me forgive them. Let me be present for them. Let me, let me do some things sacrificial I don't have. Okay, God, I've done a lot of sacrificing. I don't have it anymore. I'm exhausted. God, can I just rest in your love, in your presence? Because here's the other thing. You can't love them enough into his kingdom you can't love them into changing. You can't love them into changing how they view you or think about you or treat you. 
So it's not like you're, you're loving them towards some results and you're carrying the weight of getting there. You just wake up today and live in that day and go, God, what does it look like to love people today? Help me to do that with this person right here. And God, where I don't have enough, thank you that you're enough. When I don't have the patience, the kindness, <laughs> the self-control, God, would you show up with your presence and help me to love today? And he can do that. All right, we got through one. <laughs> Man, maybe this is gonna turn into a nine-week series going through these. I'm kidding, maybe, we'll see. Love's got, I get, dude, it was just supposed to be about love this morning. Yeah. All right. Man, he loves us. I want to receive that from him. I want to experience that in my life. And man, as, as best as I'm able by his presence and his grace, I want people to have a taste of God's love when they're around me. When they're around me. All right. Let's pray. God, thank you for your agape love. Thank you that you will good towards us. You will what's best towards us at whatever cost to yourself. At the cost of your life, at the cost of being misunderstood, at the cost of being patient with us over and over and over again. Whatever it costs, God, in ways we can't even imagine fully, yet you give it away lavishly and freely. God, would you help us to receive your love? And God, would you help us to live not only resting in your love in our life, but God, leaning on you for strength in order to love others well. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence that you are ready and available and active. And we declare our need for you and our utter dependence upon you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.